This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Well, good afternoon. A very busy afternoon. We're on the patio at the National 17th Avenue and 5th Street Southwest. It is the Summer Patio Tour. I'm Jody Hughes in for Angela Cocott. Very happy to be in on a Summer Patio Tour day as we sample some of the delicious food and drink and just enjoy an incredible afternoon outside. Big day today with regards to NAFTA. I'd like to bring in uh, Steve Farnsworth. Steve is a professor of political science and international affairs at the University of Marion, Washington. Good afternoon, Steve. Good afternoon. So tell us, uh, first of all, why now? Why? I mean, obviously the Trump administration was clear that they intended to uh, look at renegotiating NAFTA, but, but why now, do you think? Well, I think... If you look at the first six months of the Trump presidency, you see a lot of promises that have been very difficult to keep in practice. There was this question of the, Mexi- the wall in Mexico that they were going to find the Mexicans to pay for it. They're not going to do that. Now they're talking not even about a wall, but maybe about a fence. There was the plan to repeal and replace Obamacare. And that, of course, fell victim to Republican differences in the Senate with the White House. So when you look at the Trump presidency so far and all the controversies and everything else, you don't see a lot of success. And so one of the ideas I think that the Trump administration has right now is that they're looking for a win and maybe being aggressive on the NAFTA renegotiation is a, a chance for them to sort of turn the narrative in what's been pretty negative so far. And what we're hearing is that the U.S. did certainly come to the table and they were very strong in their positioning today. Yeah, that's what you saw. The very first day uh, was pretty rough uh, in terms of where the American position was, pretty tough position by uh, the Americans on the NAFTA conversation. Um, and that's actually the norm for Donald Trump as a negotiator. If you look at the way that he's handled his business deals, he's always started out at a pretty extreme position with the idea that that gives you more room for compromise. Uh, my guess is that the real pain of the NAFTA negotiation is actually more likely to be felt with the U.S.-Mexico uh, situation rather than the U.S.-Canadian situation. But, of course, we can't judge too much from the first day. Now, I have to tell you, up here in Canada, anytime we do anything on Trump, I will immediately start getting text messages of, why are you so anti-Trump? You know, why are you so negative against Trump? How much does he actually have a say in this? Or is there so much minutia that happens after these initial negotiations? Well, I... We'll see how the negotiations work out, but ultimately you have a situation with any trade deal that if you try to punish one party, the other party may also be punished. I mean, if you increase the the tariffs on some good that's being imported, uh, it's likely that there will be some tariffs increased on some good that's being exported. And so I think it's always important to remember when you talk about uh, trade deal negotiations that you really can't judge all that much from the opening positions other than the fact that um, that this is going to be, I think, a relatively combative period of time between the uh, three countries in NAFTA. Do you expect us to come to any sort of a resolution? Well, you you never really know. Sometimes these uh, conversations can go on for years and years and years. If you think about the the wood lumber disputes with the U.S. and Canada, those have been going on for for, uh, decades now. Um, And so you you have various um, issues, I think, that are really difficult for countries to resolve in any kind of permanent way, although uh, with trade deals you can sometimes leave some of the controversial issues for another day and just sort of work out the things where there are some areas where there is an opportunity for compromise or agreement. It's been so long since the original NAFTA agreement was formed. You know, what has changed 
with regards to, I guess, just everything with our business dealings, with our practices to make this so much different in our negotiation? Well, I, th- I think what's important to, to, to recognize when you look at the entire uh, situation with Trump and trade is that there has been this conviction in the United States that the trade deals on balance have been very negative for the United States' interests. That you look at particularly manufacturing and see significant declines in manufacturing employment. Now, a significant part of that change has nothing to do with NAFTA. It has to do much more with automation factories and uh, and countries in the World Trade Organization like uh, like China that have a much greater ability to undercut American labor with respect to the Chinese labor. Uh, Canadian uh, labor and American labor are costs about the same unit for production. The real disparities are when you look not even at U.S. and Mexico, but rather U.S. and China. And so the renegotiation of NAFTA, I think, is trying to, uh, to deal with economic conditions, economic difficulties that are a clear political reality in the United States, but they may not have all that much to do with U.S.-Canada-Mexico trade. Is this something where we have realistic expectations, or is it classic to, you know, if you break it down to the most simple, you know, dispute between, you know, two people in a relationship, that you're not likely to find a resolution where everybody is happy? Well, I don't think uh, I don't think that's a bad image at all, a bad comparison. I think that uh, that there is a sort of uh, of marriage, if you will, between particularly the U.S. and Canada with respect to long-time trade agreements, even before Mexico was part of the arrangement. Um, and I think that there are going to be differences of opinion. I mean, every uh, leader in every country is going to be looking out for their own country's best interests as they see them. The, the one thing that does, uh, I think, work uh, for in favor of some sort of resolution of these issues is the fact that. Uh, that ultimately the greater trade within the United States and Canada in particular has really generated a lot of economic activity on both sides of the border. And when you look at the export markets uh, for the U.S. or for Canada, you see so many goods going across the U.S.-Canadian border that neither country is really going to want to do something that really dramatically changes what has been a largely a success story for both sides. There are particular industries where there are disagreements and problems. Softwood lumber, of course, is one, but there's also dairy. But ultimately, I think that uh, there's going to be enough pressure to compromise that, uh, that both countries will find at least something to like when all is said and done with this uh, renegotiation. How, do you, how much do you think that the rhetoric or, or the, you know, the messaging from special interest groups has tainted our view just as a basic, you know, people on both sides of the border, all, all borders, uh, has tainted our view of how successful that is or has been. Well, I, I think it's ultimately tough to, uh, to to say in the terms of public relations to make the case. I mean, whenever anyone gets a job, they get that job because they're really talented, they're really smart, they're the best person out there. It's not because the export market has grown and created more opportunities. People don't see that. What they do see, though, is when a factory closes, like the conversation during the campaign about a carrier in Indiana, which um, was going to send a number of jobs offshore but chose not to, um, according to the Trump administration after Trump and uh, Indiana Governor Mike Pence, who's now the vice president, came up with a deal that would uh, keep those jobs in Indiana. So it's very easy to see where the job losses are. You just look and you see an empty factory. But it's very hard to argue that this particular person in this particular business has that job because of a free trade agreement. But the the macro numbers demonstrate pretty well, I think, that uh, that particularly with respect to the U.S. and Canadian trade agreements, there's a lot of of benefit uh, for both sides. Makes sense. Steve, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it.
Sure thing. Have a good one. It is 527. Calgary Today with Angela Cocott. Weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.